Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Hi, this is Delisa Milton Jones, and you're listening to Dishing and Splitting. Hey everybody, it's David Siegel. Welcome you to another edition and switching podcast as we're preparing for the Final Four. Yesterday you heard from Kelly Graves, the head coach of Oregon, helping us break things down. And, you know, this time, this is one of my favorite podcasts to record all year. And we are now in our fifth anniversary of DePaul head coach Doug Bruno coming on and helping break down the Final Four and just talking about women's college basketball in general. Coach, Welcome back to Dish and Switch, and it's always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, David. I wish I was busier than I am. Well, let's start by talking about that. Let's talk about the the way the season ended and the whole season for DePaul. You know, the first thing I have to mention is, you know, I think each of the last few years when we have this conversation, I think one of the first things I say to you is, you know, are you going to ever go through this without losing one of your star players to injury during the year? It just seems that the Blue Demons always seem to snake bit. At least you got January back at the end of the year. But it, it hurts the whole chemistry and everything when you lose somebody of that caliber during the middle of the season. It was, I mean, people have to think that I'm doing something to my players, and it's really not the case. It's just we've been snake bit, and that's just the way it happens. I mean, we lost three players, three starters this year. Marte Grays went down before the season started when she was 6-2 and was going to give us some additional inside strength, but she was a, a classic stretch four, so we were really going to play with two stretch fours and that she could make a three, had a great NCAA tournament a year ago, was really good around the bucket, and had a great spring and summer. It's just really maturing into her junior year, and she blew the Achilles before, you know, a week before the season started. So, you know, we start the season and we play 12 games, or not even 12, nine games, with um, missing one starter. And then Ashton Millinder, our best three-point shooter and second-leading scorer, went down right after the Notre Dame game, which is our ninth game. So you, you coach the first nine games with one lineup, and then now, you know, from game 10 to game whatever it was, game 12 or 13, maybe two or three games, we were down two starters. Meanwhile, just January, you know, before she breaks her finger, she she tore the um, tendons in her middle finger. So a kid that was really shooting the ball well. In fact, she was shooting it so well, she's at the men's three-point shooting, the shooting, three-point shooting contest down at the men's final four in Phoenix. That's how well she was shooting it before she got injured. And then, you know, the, the, you know she goes down and misses our entire Big East season. You know, and so now you're playing with three starters down, and you have a whole different team that you have to coach during the Big East season. Brooke Schulte was a champ during that time. She steps up. One of the weirdest dynamics I've ever seen in college coaching because here's a here's a scorer, an innate scorer, who's a service-oriented human being who would rather be a, a server than a scorer. And now that she has to score, she becomes the Big East Player of the Year, just like that. She goes from 11 points a game to 21 points a game. as a 35er in there, a 30er in there. And then... You know, as soon as Jess gets healthy and gets back, so now we start coaching a whole other team at the end of the year, seven, eight games. And as soon as Jessica January goes back, you know, those two like each other. It's not like it's a chemistry deal where they're fighting at each other. you got two hot scorers that are resentful of each other. They like each other. They pass to each other. They share with each other. But Brooke kind of defers because she's a service player instead of a, a selfish player. I just wish she was more selfish. So, you know, we just never got any real good rhythm to the season. And yet you got to really be proud of our players to pull off 27 wins, have a, a 17 RPI, and, and then, you know, really put themselves in position to have a run in the tournament. We beat a good Northern Iowa team in game one, Mississippi State, who the Huskies will play next, is who got us in game two down in Starkville. We were a seven seed that had to play on the three seeds home court, or the two seeds home court. So, you know, we lost a tough game at Starkville in front of a great crowd, and it was a great, great atmosphere. Vic Schaefer's done a great job down there with the program. So it just didn't end the way we would like to have it. You know, we would like to be able to catch some momentum here in this tournament. Now, Doug, one thing you mentioned there that I wanted to pick up on for a second, uh, 
and I realize that it's a little, it's difficult to comment on sometimes. Uh, you were a seven seed, and you were one of the teams that I feel was dramatically underseeded. I mean, Marquette barely won. You know, they won the Big East tournament. You guys had a phenomenal season, and were right there ranked the entire year. And yet, you end up as a seven. They end up as a five. They get knocked off by a twelve right away, and uh, you guys end up having to play at Mississippi State. You know, it, it did seem like the they were all over the place with the seedings this year, uh, at least from my perspective. From your perspective as a coach and as somebody who's been in the WBCA for as long as you have, and all, it, did it seem like the committee was a little bit all over the place this year and how they seeded and that there was a lack of consistency in principles applied? Well, first of all, David, I, I'm one of these coaches that once they tell us to play, just tee them up and play. And, and I, I just think it becomes counterproductive to be whiny or complain about your seed. I mean, a lot, a coaches do it, and, and I just don't believe in it. I just believe, you know, we're in the tournament. Tell us who we're going to have to play. Ultimately, to be any good in the tournament, you got to beat good teams. So, you know, I, I just – yeah, it would have been a little bit better if we had had a chance to be playing a four in game two, had we been seated a five and had a chance to be playing a four in game two. That would have been nice if we, it's also in our hands. You know, but what people don't understand it, and this is where I think the committee, again, I want to thank the committee. They work hard. It's not an easy job. So where I think what happened here is that we didn't get recognized for the accomplishment of winning the regular season championship. And regular season championships are much more difficult to win than a tournament championship. You know, the tournament championship basically were created on the men's side as a season-ending celebration slash moneymaker, all right, or season-ending moneymaker slash celebration. You know, a league celebration, but really a moneymaker. And, and, you know, the, 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 the tournament is a sprint, and the regular season championship is a marathon. And so I always coach, quote Coach Bob Knight, who said next to winning his national championships, the next hardest thing to do in intercollegiate athletics, basketball, is to win your regular season championship. That's why he was so adamantly opposed to the Big Ten having a postseason tournament, and it's why the Big Ten held out as long as they did from having a postseason tournament. But that all being said, you know, I, I, I want to make sure people understand that I think Marquette deserved a five seed. I don't think I don't think we lost a five seed to Marquette because Marquette beat Oregon State, who is a two seed. They beat Arizona State. They beat us three times. And, and, you know, we had a chance to beat them in the tournament ourselves to really claim a four seed and get two home games. So, you know, you can complain. And, and, and you know, I thought once they dropped us to a seven that the purpose was going to be to have the seven that was going to be Stanford seven and get the two right. home games because we were ready to host. I thought that might happen, um, that the, the drop to the seven was for that purpose, to bring the tournament to Chicago, and instead they brought it to Manhattan. And, again, I, I, I'm not in the room. I know I've, I've done the mock interview or the mock, or the mock selection on at least three occasions. So I understand how hard it is once you – pick the 64 teams and you put them all up on the S-curve and then you have to align four regions and you have to move people up and down lines to keep, you know, keep leagues with eight teams. You know, when, when leagues have eight teams in, you know, you got to get, you got to, you, you can't let them be in the same region until later in the tournament. So, I mean, I understand the difficulty that they have and I don't really want to be complaining here. I just, I just really um, want to speak more to the, some of the concepts of of being a regular season winning a championship, a regular season champion versus a tournament champion, and the difference between a sprint and a marathon. And you know, it's it's just that's 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 all I just would like to point out. And really, I think Marquette deserved a five C. I think we deserved a better C. But at the same time, you know, it, 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 like I said earlier, when it's all said and done, 
if you're any good, you got to beat people anyway. And because our tournament is, you know, is back to having the first two games on home sites, that becomes a really difficult task. You know, you, you, you know, it's not easy. I mean, all our Sweet Sixteens have been, or our three or our four Sweet Sixteens, we've had to win. You know, we've had an upset of two at Duke. We've had an upset of three at Louisville. We had a, we had to beat Penn State at Penn State. Um, you know, so we've had to, we've had to overcome some road. You know, we had to win on the road to get to our Sweet Sixteens. And the way you solve that is earn, earn one of the top four seats. You know, get become a top four seed in the tournament, and then you don't have to, then you're playing two games at home. And, and I think the NCAA is doing the right thing by playing our first two games at home. I definitely do because it, it, it is allowing for better attendance. The atmosphere in Starkville at the hump, you know, create, you know, there was, there was a good seven to eight thousand people there. It was a great vibe and, that's because it was on a home court. So I think we still have to be on home courts for the top four seeds. And now, you know, now I think the next step is figuring out the regional. And, you know, and again, I wasn't in the room, so I don't really understand all that the committee had to deal with. But they have to deal with a lot more than the, the normal public understands once you get those 64 teams on the board and execute the S-curve, you know, then – and you get 16 teams lined up in four regions with that S-curve, then they have to move people. And, you know, unless you're in that room and understand who's got to be moved and why they've got to be moved to keep conference opponents from playing each other until the regional, preferably the regional final, that's, you know, that's where the movement takes place and the up and down factors take place. Now, you, one thing that you did mention there, that uh, it, I've always been one of those people that's been a proponent of, you win the regular season, you should get the automatic bid. And then how you play in the tournament is should help determine who the at-larges are. And I think, you know, if you, if you look at it that way, you know, for the smaller mid-majors, it, it eliminates the fluke upset where somebody then doesn't make the team, make the tournament with 20 wins. And in a situation like yours where it's a competitive conference and there's two good teams, you know, if you had gotten that automatic bid for winning conference, then I, you would have ended up being a higher seed. And I, I agree with you. When you when I saw it as a seven, I thought that Stanford was going to be the one that moved over there because of that. But, uh, you know, it, it didn't work out that way, and you did end up having to go to Starkville. And that's, you know, certainly a tough place to play under any circumstances. The other thing that you mentioned that, that I just want to touch on briefly is, you know, the attendance numbers came out for the regionals, and they were horrible. And there's no other way to sugarcoat it. And uh, Doug Feinberg had an article today talking about it. You know, and, and Debbie Antonelli's on the Las Vegas game. And what, you know, any any thoughts on something that we could easily do no, or something that they should be looking at? I did not see Doug's article today because we were working in the all American committees here meeting yesterday and today, so I did not have a chance to see Doug's article. I'm sure it's it's. It's got some great insights because he does his homework. Doug does. Doug Feinberg does his homework, so I'm sure there's some good insights there. I would like to see a. I, I'd like to see before we go to a full. I'm not. I'm not. I, first of all, I really believe in Debbie's. I like Vegas. Let me just get that on. We should have. We should have a West. I, I'd like to see two eights right now, and one in Vegas and one in Bridgeport. I just. I just say let's just go with two eights. An Eastern eight and a Western eight, and the Western eight be in Vegas, the Eastern eight be in Bridgeport. I think the Eastern eight um, doesn't necessarily have to always be in Bridgeport, but as long as UConn has done what they they're doing, and and I, I, I'm one of those people that looks at what UConn is achieving as, as good for the game, not bad for the game. Then right now, I just think it should be in Bridgeport with an open mind that you know in, in the day. I mean, I don't believe the UConn dynasty will end until Gino leaves. And personally, that's just me and my belief in what he does and what his staff does. I just think Gino and his staff are just, they're just tremendous. So I, I don't think the dynasty will end before he does. But, you know, at, at that point in time, if the dynasty ever does end, then you open it up to other places in the eastern part of the country where you know, find find a destination place east, you know, so that, that people can get there and 
Yeah, I don't know where that might be, but right now it's Bridgeport for sure because I think you're definitely going to have good, you know, good quality crowds at Bridgeport. So, but I, I'm, I'm a fan of Vegas. I've always been a fan of Vegas. I'm just not sure I'm ready to say 16 teams need to go to Vegas to start with. You know, I mean, it, it, as a super regional, I, I just, I, I'm not sure about all, I mean, Debbie and I have sat and talked about it. I understand it. And, and I, I realize what it would be. I mean, what it what it potentially could be, but I, I still think that's still a long trip for half of the country, and not as much as as much as a lot of people love Vegas. Not everybody loves Vegas, so I I think Vegas definitely needs to be in the mix, though. As and I'd start with eight 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 teams in Vegas, you know, building to two of them coming out of Vegas in the Final Four, to a Final Four, and I'd have eight teams in Bridgeport with two teams coming out of Bridgeport to a Final Four. And that's how I would do it. But, um, you know, that's that's to, to start with, you know, to, to quickly. You know, I don't really know the – I don't know the exact logistics of, of depth of yearly commitment to the regional sites for the future. But, you know, if it could happen next year, I'd say do it next year. Well, I think that it's an interesting idea. I like, I like the idea of what you're saying about splitting it into the two eights. Maybe find a couple of sites and rotate. You know, say say in Indianapolis or someplace in the you know uh, South Carolina certainly certainly has warranted getting some uh, some more attention for sites down there, considering the success with attendance that they're having too. So, you know, I, I yeah, I have the idea. There's no doubt about that. And then, you know, at the same time, you know, Bridgeport's proven it's just a proven deal. The thing about the, the Carolinas is you, is you can get some some pretty good weather. In the Carolinas, but you know, the, 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 the more research needs to be done on how how well the ACC sure. tournaments have been attended too over there in the, in the in Tobacco Road in that part of the country. But I mean, you know, the, the something for the fans in the East to be able to approximately get to, and then definitely something in the West. Vegas, you know, Vegas would be the answer. I mean, I'm very confident would be the answer for a Western eight teams. And then again, there's going to be there's going to be seating's going to be involved. I'm not saying there's not going to end up some people from the east that end up in Vegas. Um, oh yeah, they'd have to. You know, in the middle in the middle of the country that might end up in in the east, but still, you know, it, 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 yeah, it's still, I, I still think it could work. We could have a chance there. I, I think it could have a, a real chance. I don't want to see. I don't want to see the knee-jerk reaction to home sites for regionals. I mean, that's that's something that is simple. Well, that, you know, you could find some homes. In Doug's article, when Luca Brown commented that he thought that going back to the homes, the home sites for regionals was the best way to get attendance. And Danielle Donald no, that, uh, said the coaches are dramatically opposed to that. No, that's that's not – I mean, I, I just don't – that's not that's not right. I mean, it, I, I, again, I, I very much – we tried to move away from the home sites for the first – I mean – for the first two rounds, and we tried, and it was a valiant try, but it it was not it did not it did succeed from a a competitive situation. There were more upsets in the in the time period that we were not on home courts than before. Many more upsets. I mean, prior to that, there were very few upsets, and then the greatest amount of upsets took place during the time period where. The first and second rounds were held on, on neutral courts, but the attendance was not good. So I, I, I voted to go back to home sites, and I was in support of that. The only thing we changed from the previous home sites is that there used to be a, a stadium restriction uh, in, when the previous home sites. Now there is no stadium restriction. If you earn a top-four seed in one of the four regionals, a top-16 seed overall, it doesn't matter how small your gym is. You could see 500 people, and you still could host. So that restriction was taken out in this more more recent movement back to home sites for the first and second round. I really agree with that for now. For now, I don't think that should be forever. But until the game has grown to the point of putting people in the in the in the seats in the butts butts in the seats, then then um, yeah, I, I think it still should be home courts first and second round. I'd love to see the regionals go to Vegas and, and, and Bridgeport next year. You got two proven places. Uh, we got one proven place, and, and I think you're 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 rolling the dice on Vegas, but you're rolling a seven. I think if you go to Vegas, and 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 then you know the the you know I, I, you got to keep them away from 
the the the, the regional sites being a, a known course. That that was that's just too much of an advantage. The other thing here um, that that I, you know while discussing the, the format of the tournament, and, and David, maybe we've discussed this. You've got two entities at. at at loggerheads with each other, at odds with each other. You are our great television partners, ESPN, and ESPN has long really loved the fact that we we moved our tournament. You know, the women's basketball moved the tournament to Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday for the, our, our ESPN television windows on Mondays and Tuesdays, which were not in conflict with our men's, you know, television windows. And just the movement this year for the Final Four to be back to Friday, Sunday, I can't tell you how positive already here in Dallas the buzz is for this being a Friday-Sunday tournament instead of a Sunday-Tuesday tournament. The Sunday-Tuesday tournament just took people's entire week from them next week. And now people can be back at work on Monday afternoon. They can be back at work at Davis on Tuesday. So it's only like missing, you know, a 4th of July Monday or, or, or a holiday Monday and and people can be back at work next week, and this tournament will be over Sunday night, and, and that's you know that's that's already this is a sold out finals. I mean, and, and that's that's an improvement. So make taking the tournament back to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you know, that where where um, ESPN and TV gets the windows on Monday night, but they don't get Monday and Tuesday night. You know, that's that's about. You know, putting people in the stands is huge and it's vital to our game. But, you know, we can't forget the broadcast, you know, our television partner either. It's still also important to be able to provide windows of opportunity for people to want to watch it on television. So, you know, that's, that's something that's still, you know, if we go back to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're going to be opposite the men in the first, you know, second rounds, completely opposite the men. And I thought it worked out well this year with the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday as we got to the regional weekend, you know, to be able to sit there on Saturday and have six games to watch and, and, and be able to watch them all on Saturday. And then on Sunday, on Sunday, you know, to be able to watch six games. And then on, 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 um, you know, and then by six, I'm talking the four women's and the two men. And then on Monday to be able to watch the two men's at two women's games. I thought that worked pretty well, actually. I did. I agree. I think that you're right, and I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, of course, you know, the only problem with Sunday is, of course, the championship game is going head-to-head with WrestleMania. So, you know, well, you, you, know you, you can't compete against everything, Coach. No, you are, well, you can't. Not, I mean, there's two sports in America that, 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 that really have their niche, and that's, that's wrestling. I mean, WrestleMania and, and you know, NASCAR is – Something very special to many Americans. You know, it's just not it's not a, a mainstream team sport, but it's certainly a very very important sport in the fabric of sports in America. So, I mean, you, you know, you're going to have some of those issues, and and you know, I, I just um, you know, it's just it, it, there's, there's there's more things we can talk about here. To you know, I, I, another everybody talks about moving the tournament back into the Masters Week. You know, that no. I don't think can't, that can't happen. I mean, I just don't see it happening right now. Uh, I mean, it's not about the Masters as much as because we're playing at night. The Masters is over. I mean, you know, if it was the final four weekend, the weekend of the Masters, we're still playing at night, not during the day when the golf is actually happening. But yeah, it's just I mean, some, 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 something that I think that could happen is right now is every every women's basketball tournament get done as early as the major, you know, the, the football five leagues and the Big East, you know, we're all done by Tuesday. You know, we could get all the women's tournaments done by Tuesday, Wednesday, before the men's announcement. You know, you follow me? I yep. mean, we, we, could, we could almost get this thing started a week earlier. You know, okay. so that, so that we, we, we could almost get this thing started, um, yeah. In, 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 a, in a way that, okay, we get it started the weekend of the men's announcement, and now we're in our Sweet 16 the week of the men's, you know, the, and I don't even think, I still think we can, I still think we can get some of the first rounds knocked out, or, or if, if not, you know, get going maybe 
yeah, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the first week, and then, then the Debbie's idea of the Super Regional, you know, then that, that it's there. You know, you, you, you could get that actually happening in the week of the, the men's regional. So, I mean, there's possibilities here for this to improve. And, and, and again, I, I, David, I love what you do with this consortium, and this is a, um, you know, I think I'm going to have to come on another time to talk about the tournament. I'm not trying to be a pig on your show, but but, but you know, we just talked about nothing about the, the, the format so far. Sounds good. We've, it's been a bit stuck, though, Coach. I, I love talking about this, but but you are right. And let's talk. Let's move on quickly to the actual subject at hand: games. We might as well start with the Mississippi State and UConn game because you have played both of them. Uh, in talking with Kelly Graves today, what he had commented on that, he also played both. He's played three of the four teams. He said that both teams play a smart, intelligent, aggressive defense, and that's so hard to play against when you have a limited time to prepare. Is that a pretty fair assessment? No, it's not. It's not fair because it's a very difficult defense to play against when you got all months to prepare. All right, that's how that's, – I, I, that's how good UConn's defense is, and, and and God bless Kelly. You know, I was I was happy for him to be able to, um, you know, be able to pull off the upsets that they did pull off, and 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 get themselves to the Elite Eight. But I also think I, I know Coach Gino's team pretty well. I know he's happy with his club right now, so I don't want to stir up the waters. But you know, you know, I'm, a, I'm sitting there watching the game with, um, you know, I, and I study these games very very closely and. You know, you know, Jose and I are both on the American committee, so Jose's played him three times. We've played him once. And, and, and then, um, you know, Caroline Doty's down here for Nike, and you know, we we pretty consensus thought that, that Kelly Graves got out of Dodge there with uh, with one of UConn's B games, not their A game. Yeah, so, so, Kelly, welcome to our world of playing UConn regularly. But you think you you think you saw defense? You know, I, I saw UConn make some mistakes against against Oregon that they certainly didn't make against us, or they didn't make against South Florida in, in the in the in the in the you know in our two little Bighorn games. And and so you know, I, I just um you know that 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 you you can prepare a long time, and, and I think that's you know Gino's a great coach. I don't. I don't bother Coach Warrior at his Final Fours. You know, I, I mean, we, we'll spend time together when he's ready to spend time together because I don't want to be a bother to him. He's got a job to do, and I know that his what makes one of the things that makes him great is his focus, and he's focused on his team, he's focused on his staff, he's focused on doing what they got to do. And believe me, they're not going to for a second think that normal coach let his team think that we beat these guys last year by 60, so this is going to be a cakewalk. I mean, he'll, he'll definitely have the, he'll have his team prepared. And, and, you know, Morgan Williams, Morgan William the other day put on a show that was just really a joy to watch, but against us, she played 10 minutes. And, 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 you know, she only, yeah, Holmes, she, you know, for whatever reason, She's only had, I think, 11 points in the first three games and 41 in the, in the, in the Baylor game. So, you know, I, I just do think that UConn will, you know, they are a really, so I, I disagree tongue in cheek with Kelly because Kelly probably doesn't realize he got the B game, not the A game. He's got to, he's got to play against them when he gets to the A game and, and, and understand what that means. I think Temple, I think Dawn, or not Dawn, but, um, you know, Tanya and Jose and, and ourselves this year, you know, got got UConn on, on 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 one of their coming to Jesus days, and and that's that's very different than what Oregon got the other day. So I mean, Mississippi State is good, and Mississippi State has had a whole year to recover from what happened last year, and they will have learned from it, and they will be much better against UConn than they were a year ago. I, I really believe that, but. You know, Gino will have those guys, his, his team, really ready to defend. And, you know, I, I, I know he's, 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 he's talking about, you know, how, how good they played and well they played. But at the same time, I know he watches tape very, very religiously, as does Chris and, and Marissa and, and Shay. And, and I guarantee you they're going to they're gonna see some of the same little slip-ups that, 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 that UConn doesn't normally have. To, you know, that thing – that thing when it was 21 in the second quarter could have been 41 very quickly, and it got back to 15. So they'll see some of those same things. And I, I just, 
you know, just the matchup, let's just get to the matchups, David. You know, um, Vivian's is really, really talented. And yet you know, there's been something going on there where, where Coach Vic Schaefer did bench his team and, and, and start yeah. the second group. Um, McCowan was really much better. They're better with her on the floor than Okari because she's 6'7". She's not as good as Kalani Brown from Baylor, but she's starting to get that, have that kind of interior presence. So that's going to be, you know, a challenge for UConn. And UConn, I think, will be up to that challenge on both sides of the basketball. They'll have a great scheme defensively to defend her. Back to Vivian's. Vivian's is a dangerous player. She's capable of really, really getting off, and she saw it showed some really serious signs of life of, of coming back to who she was in the in, in the Washington and Baylor games. But you know, I still think you know the, one of the things that, that, that UConn's preparation does is really takes a great player out and and really prides themselves on not letting a great player get off. And so I I, I don't think they're going to forget about Vivian's over Morgan Williams is scoring 41. I really think Morgan Williams, you know, will be, you know, he's, she has got the luxury to be able to guard and switch five positions on the floor. And he does have superior size, strength, length, and, you know, talent against Williams. I just don't see Williams scoring against UConn the way that she did against Baylor. I just don't see it happening, and she had one of the game for, a game for the ages, and it was really great to watch what she did. I just don't see that happening against UConn. So now, you know, where's Mississippi State? And Vic, Vic has done, some, I think, a really great job this year. Geno's always my vote for Coach of the Year because they win the most and they produce the most. So I don't, I don't mess around with, with stories or, or, or feel good stories about coaches of the year. When you produce what they've produced, he's my vote for coach of the year, and it's not because he's a friend. That's what they've produced. But Vic Schaefer has done a great job. And what Vic, what it's really cool to watch Vic do is he's always been a great defensive coach. So they will be, they will be really good, I think, on the defensive side of the ball against UConn. And I think they will make it more difficult than most teams for UConn to score, but UConn is still such a well-oiled machine that they will score against Mississippi State. Where Vic has adjusted, I think, or I see the growth in him as a coach, is he's really starting to pay attention to offensive basketball. Offensive basketball is starting to mean more, and I, I, I think you see that in the numbers that they've put up in this tournament. And, and you know, they've been scoring well into the 90s, I think, in just about every game. So, you know, there was an overtime game involved here, but still, you know, they, they've been scoring at a really higher pace than they have in the past. I do think that UConn's ability to defend will be up to that challenge. And, and you know, I, I predict it will be probably at best for Mississippi State a 15 to 18 point game. And, you know, if UConn's, you know, really, really at their best, I think it still could go. I still think it could go twenty, you know, twenty-five to thirty-five. That's a couple quick questions. UConn team is, but go ahead, David. Yeah. No, a couple quick questions. You've coached, of course, for a long time. How difficult do you think it is in a situation where you're first starting the NCAA tournament? Now, granted, you know, at least the first game, you knew you had, you had it pretty comfortably. To do what he did and swap out all those starters for the, for the second unit to try and uh, put a teaching moment for whatever that reason was in, uh, you know, you put in, you look at a, a game against you, against DePaul, and, and that's a tough matchup. And to still do that, that that took a lot of gumption to be able to, to say this is what I have to do right now. You know, you know, you know, David, it's really hard enough to coach our own teams. You know, so when you, you watch what other coaches do, I try not to overthink it because you're not there every day. You don't know the, the inner dynamics of your team and who's, who's doing and how people are behaving on a day-by-day basis. I will say this, and I, I love Coach Landers and Rebecca. I think they have great chemistry in the studio. I really think that's a, I think that's a, a that's, I think that's really going well. Um, so, but at any rate, the, you know, Coach Landis has made the statement that, 
Vic doesn't have a lot of talent. You know, I, I think that's not quite accurate. I think they, I think what Coach Landers means is relative to, you know, Baylor is really loaded and, and, you know, Baylor, you know, did, yeah, Baylor is really, really talented. They really are deep and talented. But when Vic made his move, you know, you know, he's got players here that we're not talking about that, you know, his daughter's good. You know, people, it's, it's another one of those feel-good stories, coach's kid. But, you know, if you let her, you, know, you, you can't let her be open. And that's, again, UConn will not let her get a three. She will not have an open look. But she also does a great job of screaming. She's a great screen setter, and she does a lot of little things that are really, really good. In our game, Holmes played for William, and Holmes, you know, in his swap out of the lineup, Morgan William was the one that was a constant that stayed on the floor. He swapped out four starters for four starters. But, you know, Holmes, you know, Holmes here is really, really good, and she can get the ball anywhere on the floor. She's never going to have, I don't think, the, uh, uh, the capability of getting 41, and I don't think Morgan William will again either, but I, I think that was a once one-time deal there. But, you know, they, they do, these other players that we're talking about, Dominic Dillingham is a great defensive player, but to swap her out, you know, for the Johns, Johnson is a great three-point shooter. So, I, you know, I mean, I think Andy's right that the Mississippi State talent is not near the Baylor talent, but you know, I think it was probably superior top to bottom than the Washington talent. You know, when you take out Kelsey Plum and Osahar, those two kids are special. But you know, when you go when you start going nine ten deep, you know, I think Vic has the ability to go ten deep, and the messages that have to be sent, you just never know what those messages are. You know, the, Vivian's is really got talent, and, and you know, so I, I just think maybe it's trying to light a fire on the or get her focused on more. I, I, again, I'm not there, so I don't know, but right. it, it, did, it did take you know, gumption, but believe me, when they made that change, it wasn't like you're playing against some some bunch of stiffs here in that second team. I mean, they, they took a step up in the, in the, in the pivot in the, in the, at the center position. That was a step up. You know, because McGowan's a better than, than a couple. She's just better. I mean, she's six seven, and she's getting better. She had twenty one or twenty in the fourth quarter against Washington. So, I mean, yeah, they're taking a step up there. Johnson is really a really great shooter from three. You know, you you, you can't send help off of off. You, you can't send a second player off his own Blair Schaefer because she's going to knock down threes. So. You know, when it's all said and done here, yes, it took gumption. Yes, he's probably trying to get some some sense into his team. But, you know, those other guys are really pretty good. Yeah, and it should be noted also, it's not like they that he's totally benched them. I mean, in the game against you guys, Vivian still played 20 minutes. Holmes still played 25 minutes. So, so right. you know, it, it, it wasn't that they didn't play at all. Now, the other question i got to ask you, I've been wondering about this since since – beginning of the year and all year Gino of course has been talking about how he doesn't know what he's going to get each night from this group and he didn't expect this and that he thought we were going to get he would get knocked off by you know this team or that team so so you spent last summer with him with the Olympic team so so truth or truth or dare here did 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 Gino actually feel that this team was going to be questionable or did he expect that they were going to be this good well, first of all, we were focused on the Olympics, so it's not like we spent an enormous amount. Well, I figured over a beer somewhere you had to talk about this. Year. Talking about what what's coming back here this year, but you know, I, I think I think legitimately, I don't think he's tongue and I don't think he's trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. When you lose players as talented as as Stewie and 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 Mariah and 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 Tuck, you know, you lose players that talented, you know, you you, you can't expect the next group to be that good. And, and you know, you got to think that they're going to take a step down. So, I mean, I think his standard line, and I don't think it was a line, I think it was a belief is, you know, you guys all better get us next year, you know, because he knows, you know, he knows who's sitting out this year. And, and at the same time, what sometimes he forgets, you know, when you're coaching your own team, you can't see the forest for the trees. And, and part of what makes you good is uh, it's our job as coaches 
And we had a situation this year where, you know, I, I had to use a, you know, I don't want to get, in, I want to try to make it as short as possible, but basically the theme of a week was, Coach, you know, can I ever do anything right? Well, you know, so I, I, I had to start showing them every single little thing that they did right for a week, all right? But it's our job to find the pimples. You know, it's, 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 it's not our job to, to see the beautiful clear complexion. It's, 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 it's what coaches do to get their teams better is, is find the flaws and work on the flaws. So, you know, that's why sometimes we in our own programs can't see the forest for the trees because we are so, you know, it's what's made, you know, great through the years is, the demand of accountability and and the demand of of striving to be good, you know that's what makes them good. So, you know, I don't think anywhere would you expect that that Nafisa and Katie Lou and Gabby are all going to improve to the magnitude that they improved. And and you know it was really, you know it it, it really was. So I think I think something lost on the UConn program is the job that that Gino and his staff does to get these players better. And you know I could see you know the Florida State thing. You know Florida State had the advantage of getting them on the first day of the year, or the first game that they played together. But I, I knew that these guys were going to come on exponentially from that moment, especially given the schedule they were playing. And once they weathered a couple of tough scheduled games early on, you know, I, I, I could tell Sam, uh, Katie Lou was so much better. I mean, she could post up, she could post up and play with her back to the basket so much better by our December, I think, whatever game of day it was, December 10th this year or December 1st this year, I guess it was, or December, I think it was December 1st, I don't know, December 5th, I guess it was December 1st, I can't even keep it straight right now, but, you know, she's, you know, she was posted up, I mean, and that's, and, and posted strong, and posted with authority, and, and, and the feasts are getting better, and, and getting to the point, and then Gabby, you know, Gabby, you know, becoming, uh, growing from an athlete, just an athlete, into an athlete that's a basketball player. Now that's a joy to watch. And Kia Nurse, don't forget, was the was the American Athletic Conference preseason player of the year. You know, and, and and now and now you know she she deserves to be a regional All American. You know, if, if if they can't get four because of rules, you know she deserves to be. A regional All-American, if not maybe an All-American. I mean, so so I mean that's that's how good Kia is. So you you, you start you know talking about bringing these players back, and then Sanaya does have. There, there's certain players, David, that can't earn a starting spot on given programs. I've seen this in my coaching life. There's been kids that we've had to play out of default. That that kid, if she had competition, could not have earned a starting spot. But once they get a starting spot, and they get the confidence that that goes with knowing that they have to play, they step up to the plate and start making really good contact with the ball. And I'm, I'm using the baseball analogy, but Snyas had a great great year for UConn, and and I don't know that if there were some other players available that she could have beaten them out to put herself in a position to play. But and so that's not a slam on her. That's how good they've been. But once she's had to play here, she shows why every one of every one of us in the country wanted her. I mean, my God, I wanted that kid badly to come to DePaul. So I, I mean, you know, and she's had a really, really good year and an unsung hero year and not unsung I mean she's starting to get her her, her due, but this is a really good basketball team, and you know I think they've also showed you know when coach says he doesn't know what he's going to get on a given night that they can at times let their guard down. I think the Tulane game, you know, that wasn't the same team that played against us that played against Tulane, and you know we were sitting there watching that game because we love to follow if we are able to. And, you know, we're sitting there saying, we'll get, we were in Milwaukee getting ready for a Marquette game and, and then we were just, you know, able to watch the Tulane second half and, and just said to ourselves, you know, oh my gosh, 
you know, when it was this team, when we played them. So they're capable because of their youth to let their guard down. So I think that's what Coach means when he says he doesn't know what exactly to expect on every single given night. So that's, there is some truth to that. I mean, just think about how the game starts the other night against Oregon when, when UConn makes every single shot and, and, you know, they're on fire when the game starts. And now, you know, the, the, the Oregon club got a couple early looks. So they had their four points that I thought were a little bit of, but, but basically you kind of had their defense really, you know, you know, Kelly's team could not find a look for that first quarter. And then I thought their guard slipped a little bit in the second. I thought they let their guard down just a little bit, start missing some of the same shots that they were making. And, you know, I thought their defense had a little bit of slippage to it for them. You know, I'm not talking, you know, I'm talking for their, for their, for their point of excellence slippage. I'm not talking slippage compared to everybody else. I'm talking, you know, I, I, you know, there's, there's an overrun here or a, that left a, a, uh, Oregon kid open for a three, you know, that, that let the game get from 21 back to, you know, 15 or so, or 14 or 13, even before they half, and maybe it went down at 15 at halftime. So, you know, those little things is what Gino's talking about when he, when he references that he doesn't know what to expect because they are still young. I mean, these are sophomores. I mean, Gabby's a junior and Sadai's a senior, but I mean, still, the, 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 the you know, they're still, young players out there. And, and so, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's what he means. Yeah, he means it. You know, you asked a simple question. I haven't shut up. So I apologize for that, David. <laughs> but I, I, you know, it is, you know, he, he means it. He's sincere. I mean, he's, he's, he, there's the sincerity to coach that people just don't understand. His quick wit and his ability to be funny, you know, should not be confused with sincerity because he does, you know, he's a sincere guy and he does tell the truth. He means it. I believe that completely. That's for sure. I've covered him enough that I I know when he does it. He does. Uh, he backs it up. That's for sure. No question about it. Uh, let's let's move over and talk briefly about the other side and Stanford and South Carolina. And now we started this whole discussion by talking about the fact that your team is snake bit and you've had to make adjustments and trying to adapt to different players and different roles. Uh, I know that I've been impressed with the way that South Carolina has adapted to life without Elena Coates and the way that Kayla Davis in particular has stepped up and Asia Wilson, of course, is, is you know, a, a star post, you know, and beside, uh, beside the rest of the guards. But, uh, you know, that's something that Dawn has done that you're familiar with and you know how difficult it is. Does it surprise you at all when you look at that team, how they've adapted so quickly to playing more of an outside-in game instead of the inside-out game? No, it does not surprise me. And, and there's two – first of all, uh, you know, the, the the loss of Coates is really a big, big loss because, you know, and, and again, I, I have to be careful here because, you know, what was, goes on in our All-American Room is confidential, so I don't want to say anything that, that's – happened in that room because I can't. I was sworn to confidentiality and I really want to you know, live to that. But I mean, I think it's clear when you talk to anybody in the Southeastern Conference that Coates is the second best player in the Southeastern Conference. So on the South Carolina team, Dawn had two, number one and number two, the best player in the league and the second best player in the league both starting in the front line, you know, and, and that's that's something that's really, you know, that, that's a statement to what Dawn has been able to assemble at South Carolina. Now, that being said, with those two players on the floor together, that's a throwback to basketball with, you know, basketball used to be played with, uh, you know, one big guy in the middle and two forwards that were really kind of plotting players and two guards. And then three guards became the norm. And now four guards is becoming the norm. Or, or your big players having guard skills is what makes the concept of the stretch four the stretch four. So, 
Now, Dawn had a great lineup there with Coates and Asia on the floor attacking people the old-fashioned way with two really, really superior inside players. Now she loses Coates, and Grace flips inside. So, you know, don't forget, Grace still six foot. Now she's six foot six one. It's not like it's not like she had to move a five ten or five seven or five nine kid into a power forward spot. But now all of a sudden, Dawn Staley, who was a great coach of both post players and guards, is all of a sudden having the ability to play with four guards. Harris is having a great year as a freshman. And now Kayla Davis starts stepping up. And don't forget, Kayla's six one. So, you know, these are so, – so, so basically what she lost in size and interior strength in losing coats, you know, she's picked up in guard play. And I, I just think that, you know, that's – and they still have really solid top-to-bottom size with Gray and, 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 and Kayla Davis at, at, at that 6-1 range of size. So, you know, it's not like they become automatically just tiny or, 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 or overly small. So I think it is a great job on Dawn's part, for sure. And I don't want to diminish the job that she's doing because you do have to retool. You have to start over. And chemistry, if it was bottleable, we would all bottle it. It is impossible to bottle chemistry in basketball. So you have to reconstruct an entire chemistry for your team when you lose coats. But I think it, it, it's probably easier to go to multiple guards playing than going back, you know, then all of a sudden if they had four guards all year long with just Asia and then all of a sudden Coates got healthy and now you got to go to three guards with two bigs out there, I, I think that's a little bit more difficult. So, you know, the, the ability and, – and, you know, you talk to anybody from the Southeastern Conference and they – really will tell you that, you know, it's all function of the perimeter of South Carolina making shots. You know, when they can back up, you know, when when Kaylin Gray and, and Harris can hit outside shots, now they become a really, really difficult matchups. Now, I think Duke had the victory over them because they zoned them, and, and they got Carolina on night where the three perimeter players did not make shots from the floor. So that's, you know, that's a dynamic there. That And, and David, it's, it's – it's all of us coaches. Our players are all better when they're making shots. You know, don't forget what Kia Nurkic. Kia, Kia, Kia had not hit a three all season when we watched. You know, when we marched in the stores, and you know, the right. fact that when you play people, where you play people. I, I mean, in hindsight, our, our DePaul team was unintelligently, stupidly smelling ourselves over beating Syracuse by 24 a couple days earlier. And you can't walk into the UConn gym and think you're going to play UConn, uh, you know, having an overly inflated opinion of yourself. That's just craziness. So it's Kia against us. What she hit that Thursday against us wasn't 10 because nobody's getting to that this year, but had knocked down six or seven threes against us. So yeah, it's every, single player, every single player in the country is better when they're making shots. So it's really important that, that, that Kayla continues to do what she's doing. You know, Gray can, you know, Gray can give them still some interior strength as a guard. And, and, you know, Harris is having a good year as a freshman. I do think sometimes they forget that Wilson's on the court though on offense. Yeah. They pass it around the perimeter and they slash and they don't look for Wilson. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you know, you saw that in the Baylor game the other night. Kalani Brown is special. I mean, she's had a special year this year, and down the stretch of that game, you know, they didn't. And, and, and Vic Schaefer at Mississippi State did a great job of guarding Kalani Brown, but still, you know, she didn't get the touches that she probably needed down the stretch of that game. Agreed completely. Then we got then the other side. We've got uh, the other legend that's here. Cara Vanderveer is one of the greatest coaches in women's basketball history, and I looked at that roster this year after uh, Lily Thompson transferred out, and I said, there's still Stanford, and there's still a good team, but I did not picture this team was going to be a Final Four team, but you just can't ever count them out, and they are really playing well, and they've got the uh, Stanford intelligence and the back cuts and the quick shots, and uh, they are always, always tough to beat in any situation. 
they really they really are and, and it, it's it's you know on, on paper the names of the South Carolina players probably jump at you but you know you you, you know this Carly have a middle name I mean it, you know all, all all you think about is KU I mean because I'm connected to the UConn program I mean I just says KU 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 I'm just trying I'm just trying to look for Carly's middle name that's all what's Carly's middle name but I mean McPhee had a great game the other day Robeson you know these McCall I mean these guys are they're playing at a really really high level right now and and I think Muffet did a great job also. After losing Turner, you know, I, I thought she retooled really well to a four guard lineup, and 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 still stand for just overcoming that seventeen point deficit, and and tightening it up defensively against Notre Dame. You know, they did a great job on Enrique in the second half after Enrique got off for I think what twenty four or something in the first half. Yeah, they did a great job of, of tight, tightening up the defense of the end of the floor, and then. You know, they're, they're a very quality and efficient offensive team. And, you know, they just, um, you know, they just, yeah, and Tyler does a great job. So I think it's, I think that's going to be a great ball game to watch, um, because, you know, Tyra is a veteran and great coach. And Dawn is a, she's not a young coach. You know, you got to remember Dawn's been doing this a long time, but she's also a great coach. And so it's, it's, you know, Dawn, you know, before it's all said and done, Dawn will go to the Hall of Fame as a coach, not just as a player. And, you know, so you're going to have two great coaches going against each other, a a ton of talent on the floor. And and just on paper, it looks like the South Carolina names are are bigger than the, the, you know, just in, 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 in studying, you know, where the South Carolina players finished in the, you know, in, in votings and stuff. I mean, the, the, the Stanford players, you still had other players in the Pac-12 that were, were ahead of, you know, ahead of the, the Stanford players. I mean, you have the two players from Washington. You have Weiss from Oregon State. You have Jordan Canada. You know, these players really did receive more attention nationally than the Stanford players. But when you collect them together as a team, and you know that's what the sport is all about. It's not about the individual names. It's about the it's about the collectivity of the team, and that's what Tyra's got going for herself right now. What she's really assembled there. I think that's why you saw her dancing to be dancing. You know, people don't expect Tyra to be dancing on the floor to be dancing, and she was dancing to be dancing because she's just like all the rest of us. Every single one of these teams is a unique team and a unique group. And no matter what you've done in years past, Tara Vandiver wasn't coaching her, her, her past this year. She wasn't coaching her history. She was coaching possession by possession, game by game, this team against the, 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 the rest of the Pac-12 and the rest of the country. And that's why she was dancing when Stanford went dancing last weekend. I really like the way that the, the mix of talents that they have. You know, you, you look at, you know, McPhee is a slasher, Samuelson's the three-point shooter, McCall defends and rebounds and jumps out of the building. You know, then you've got the guards, that uh, Robeson is a solid point guard. Uh, I, I just, I, I like what I've been seeing out of them, and I'm really surprised. Well, Kelly was <laughs> saying he, he thinks they're going to beat South Carolina. <laughs> and he said... That's his Pac-12. That's the Pac-12 talking, though. Uh, so. Well, I mean, you know, the Pac-12, the Pac-12, you got to you got to give it to the Pac-12 here, David. They 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 walked the walk here because they did send five teams to the Sweet 16, and and, and you know, no league did that. So they they did send five to the Sweet 16, and I think I think it was the ACC sent three. If I you know, you can check check me here quickly, but I think the ACC sent three, Southeastern Conference two. The Big 12 2 in Texas and Baylor, Southeastern Conference on South Carolina and, and Mississippi State. Uh, ACC had, where they have, they had Duke, Florida State, and who's in Louisville. So they had three. Notre Dame. Pat, no, I'm sorry, Notre Dame. Pat 12 had, had, um, so they said for the, the ACC said four. No, Louisville did, no, Louisville get there. To Louisville did not no, make Louisville says, No, they did not make the Sussex. Okay, so they sent three. Right. And then, and then the Big 10 sent two. And and in, in Ohio State and, and um, Maryland, 
but left standing here, you know, still was the, the five from from the the Pac-12. So they did, you know, not just talk the talk of, of being a really good league, and they were ranked not the number one league in the country from an RPI perspective. So they did end up, you know, showing so in the in the tournament. Now, you know, now though, as you look at the as you look though at the at the Final Four, you still have the two Southeastern Conference schools standing in Mississippi State and South in, in, in South Carolina. You know, the, the other six, you know, the other two teams from Sweet Sixteen are is, is UConn, and they stand alone. And in this season, uh, you know, this season has been a great season. They stand alone, and Quinnipiac was a Cinderella. It's hard for me to call Oregon a Cinderella, and they are by numerical seeding number, but. You know, they also did a, a really excellent job in the pack. I mean, they they really deserved to go, you know, to the tournament for sure. And you know, they showed, you know, they showed their stuff on the road. They beat a very good Temple team. They beat a really good Duke team at Duke, and we know what that's like. It's not easy to do. And then, you know, they beat you know, a, a very good Maryland team. So, I mean, they put them. They they walked the walk. So, I I, I just you know, Pac-12 really is good. And it really will be an interesting game because Stanford is, you know, is is good. I mean, Notre Dame is good, and 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 Stanford did what they did to Notre Dame, and it's 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 going to be a really really interesting basketball game to watch the two of them go head to head, and and you know, it's just it's just going to be really interesting to see. Can Stanford defend? I know Stanford's going to score. Can Stanford defend? You know, the, the the presence of Asia. And, and the guard play, will the guard play of South Carolina really be comprehensive and, you know, make the outside shots that they have to make and still get the ball to Asia, to your point earlier in the conversation, David, that Asia still needs to get the ball inside, have the ball inside. So it's going to be a great, great ball game. And I wouldn't, you know, I'd say that's a pick of mine right now. I wouldn't, you know, Kelly's got a, a, a firm reason to believe Stanford should win. I'll say it's going to be a pick em, and that game could go either way. And I already told you what I think is going to happen in the UConn-Mississippi State game. Uh, Mississippi State's going to really, I think, hang tough. But but in the end, I think it's going to be UConn with a, a hard-earned 20-point win. To, you know, it, it could get away from Mississippi State, but I think in the end it's going to be a hard point, 20-point-plus win for UConn. So, so do either South Carolina or Stanford have a chance to beat UConn? That is, um, you know, let's let's go back to Cool Hand Luke and and you know the the, the old warden and Cool Hand Luke. You know, I, you know, Luke, we got to get your mind right. As long as Coach Gino keeps keeps those young players' minds right, you know, I I, I just don't see UConn getting beat. I don't see them getting beat at all. I I, I think that they. They are going to get this done. Your question, yes, they both are capable of beating. They are both capable of beating UConn. Mississippi State's capable of beating UConn, but I don't see it happening. I see UConn winning the championship again. And then, you know, I mean, who are you, who are you leaving off of the All-American team next year? You know, when you, got, when, you, when you start bringing the people that are sitting out, I mean, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable the count that's going to be coming back to UConn next year with the kids that are sitting out. Got to change that four-person rule, okay. Well, uh, that's, 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 uh, that's for somebody else to talk about on this and switch. <laughs> you got to – You know, somebody asked me about that today. Somebody asked me about that today because of, you know, Kia being the fourth beetle here. And, uh, you know, my comment was that even if that rule is not in place, I think you'd be very hard-pressed to find people that would vote for four people from one team for All-American when there's so much other talent out there in the country. Right. And, and you know, the, uh, uh, that that's, there's no question about that statement, David, that but at the same time, you should never be a victim of your own productivity. And, and just because you're good, why should you be, why should a, a student athlete, and I'll say her name, Kia Nurse, not be a regional All-American? You know, I, I really firmly believe that, you know, there's no way that she shouldn't be a regional All-American. Okay, if, if, if they can't have more than three on the team of ten, then how can she not be a regional All-American? I think that's a great point. 
maybe that's maybe that's the way to go is on the national team you can't have more than three but the regional you can have an unlimited amount because looking next year as you were saying as an example who knows if uh what's going to be out there from each of that each of them people on that team so well coach you know it's always great to talk to you i always have a good time in this podcast you know you have such insight and such experience and you know, I never, I never fail to learn something when we have this conversation each year. Well, David, thanks for having me. I just, uh, I, I would just like to apologize publicly uh, because we we were like NBA, like the NBA players the night we played in stores. We took the night off, and and I know you guys was really good and, and made us look that bad. But still, I wish we would have been a little bit more brought a little bit more competitive fire to make the UConn kids have to earn a little bit better that night because they were really good and they were really awesome. And I just didn't think that we did the job to make the game competitive for the people watching us that night. That's what I was embarrassed about, not about getting ripped, but about not um, holding up the iron of a competitive bargain. Well, Coach, they've done that to a lot of other good teams as well. You know, when I, 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 when I had Jose on the podcast, I commented that I had missed the first – I wasn't able to go to the first game. And he said, that's okay, neither will we. Uh, so <laughs> they, well, they do have the tendency to do that. I, I, don't know what, I don't know the order of Jose's games, but I know I did see the game. I, I, I saw the game where Jose's team shot 48% against UConn. That's hard to do. And only had 10 turnovers, and that's hard to do. And still lost by 28 yeah, I mean, so yeah. I did see that. That game. was the one there. That's the, that, that's the one that they played well against UConn and still lost by 28. So, you know, I, I, I just we, – we do really have an appreciation for what's going on there. And, and you know, I, I, it, no, don't let anybody tell you it's bad for women's basketball. Believe me, it's good for women's basketball because, you know, they're only getting their due after having – they have to win 111, 112, 113 games to get the due that they should be getting – uh, you know, just on a regular basis without having to win those games that many games in a row. That's, that's, so they are doing something very positive for women's basketball. I agree completely, Coach, and it's always great to, to get your perspective on things such as the tournament and, of course, the breakdown on these teams. So, uh, you know, keep in touch and, and I'll look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, David.